You're listening to Wholesaling Inc. episode number 1183. It's really important that you build your confidence. If you're going to be somebody who wants to get out of an undesirable situation, it's going to be really hard. And you have to be somebody who can look at struggle and find something beyond that that will allow you to persevere. And so I would really do that kind of deep digging work first of like, okay, I really hate my situation and I'm going to have to dig deep, but I can do it. And I have the confidence to know that I can get out of here and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And actually kind of, you know, David Goggins go hard mode, like do what it takes to get out of there. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. Hello, Rhino Nation. It is me, Brent Bowers, your land man, and I have a really cool guest today. His name is Jaron Barnes. I've like, I've been, you know, kind of just doing parallel paths with this guy for a while. He used to be the co-host of RE Tipster. Him and Seth Williams have done so many podcasts on land, and this guy got into land many years ago. And he's going to talk to you today about his, you know, his first three land deals where he netted $38,000. He's going to talk about the three most important things of running a land business, how to pick the best markets, how to do the due diligence, and just how he's mailing landowners and selling his land as well. Let's go ahead and get right into the episode. Jaron Barnes, what's going on, man? What's happening? What's that, man? Like, what is the origin story of you and land? I know you haven't always been the RE tipster co-host and just crushing it in land. You know, you had to have started somewhere. What did that look like? Yeah, man. So how I got started in real estate was I met my wife and got married after two and a half months of knowing her when I was 20. So I turned 20 on July 5th and then July 7th, we got married and we got well, you know, you know. Yeah. And I found out, unfortunately, that there are these pesky things in life called bills. So I very, very quickly had to figure something out. At the time I got married, I was in ministry and I was living as a superintendent over a homeless shelter. So I had like five homeless people that were like living. I was like 19 and they were like 40. And I was like telling them to like brush their teeth and stuff. And so it was a very interesting position that I was in. But I, Definitely wasn't making any money living pretty much homeless in a homeless shelter, you know? Yeah. From there, you know, I was trying to figure out just anything I could to make money because I didn't have the luxury of going to college or whatever. I ended up getting into insurance. I convinced them to hire me without a college degree. And I only lasted a month and a half because I had some friends that bought into a guru course. And this was in the San Francisco Bay Area. And they decided to start a house flipping business. And I jumped ship and left my office at the insurance company and went door knocked that day and uh, got started door knocking pre foreclosures. The uh, company I was working with was very unethical, did some really shady stuff that now looking hindsight, I would never have been involved with, but I just didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And I never got paid for any of the, the deals that I closed, but I, I was the best closer there. I got like 10 deals in six months. I actually worked for Bigger Pockets for like an hour minute, which a lot of people don't know. Because this was back in the day, I was a 1099, so I've never been an official employee of Bigger Pockets. But it was just 
uh, Joshua Dorkin and Brandon Turner at the time. And they were looking you at- You were with the OG yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, in the wow. very beginning, right before they started building a team. So I ran all the show notes and I edited all the blogs and I like pretty much underneath support admin, I did like a little bit of everything over there. From A background genius yeah. behind it all. Love yeah, it. Yeah, man. So from there, I, I ended up going to Indianapolis, uh, moved from California to Indianapolis and met a guy named Brett Snodgrass who started a company called Simple Wholesaling. We started a podcast there and I helped grow his operation from doing eight to 12 wholesale deals a month to doing 25 to 30 deals a month. And I was like, obviously it was a team effort, but um, I was so involved that literally the names of the different like employees were like, I had the marker in my hand and I was like helping him build out all that stuff from the ground up. And I was the head of disposition. So it was you know, my responsibility to make sure we actually sold 25 to 30 properties a month. And we were different than most wholesale operators in that like we took title. So similar, much more similar to the land business, I would say, as opposed to assignments and what have you. From there, I wanted to use my skill set of being a wholesaler, but not being in competition with my employer. I wanted to work for my employer for the rest of my life. That's kind of my thing. I've never really wanted to... Like, I had no like, ego trip of doing my own thing. I've always like, been down to build other people's stuff. But I had this skill set and I was like, well, how can I make extra money with what I know and not being in competition with Brett Snodgrass? And so we interviewed... I think it was the Land Geek first, and then we interviewed Seth Williams. And I knew Seth from my Bigger Pockets days. And I really resonated with him on the show, just learning about the land flipping business. And I realized that there was a lot of overlap in the skill set. So I could do a land business and not be in direct competition with, with my boss at the time. We started doing deals together with my boss. So I did my first couple of deals. Within the first, I think, three deals, I netted like $38,000, which like revolutionized my life. And uh, first three deals, you netted $38,000. Yeah, it was like a stars aligned kind of deal. Like my boss had bought a big track in Southern Indiana. I, through my own mailers, got another big track. And we had a timber company that did a package deal and did a double close. And so it was like he made, at least at the time, the most he's ever made in one deal was like 98000 And then I walked away personally with like 38 grand. And what was this you were mailing? So it was just Southern Indiana counties, like Green County. No, was it was it land or was it in the house game? Land, yeah. Okay, it was you and Seth Williams. No, no, me and Brett Snodgrass, actually. Oh, Brett. But we interviewed Seth Williams on the Simple Wholesaling podcast. That's how. Got you. What made the shift into land? So I went. I had a really strong skill set as a wholesaler. Like I knew wholesaling really well, but I didn't want to be in direct competition with my boss. I so I just okay. used. I found out that I could utilize a lot of the skill set from wholesaling into land, and then I started my land business with Brett. Ultimately, ended up parting ways with Brett, and then venturing into my own land business. And Seth and me were talking. We were in a mastermind together. I was meeting about every other week, and he's like, "Hey, why don't you join the Arctic Tipster team? You know, content. You've been doing bigger pocket stuff. You help launch podcasts, and you actually have a legit land business." So for like the last three and a half years, well, now I've been on my own for about a year and a half, but. Uh, for three and a half years, I ran as like number two of Ardari Tipsy. Amazing. So do I understand correctly? So Brett was doing the houses with the wholesaling company. You both were doing the houses, but to not compete with Brett, you just started mailing the land. Yep. And it was all, oh, all like disclosure. Like it was all full disclosure. I mean, Brett was funding the land deals when I first got started and, and all of that. I like that. Because there's so many people out there that we get a lot of land sharks or people that come in that they're already wholesaling houses, but maybe that's a way. I like the way you did it because you aligned with your partner, your employer, whatever you want to call them, and you guys went further faster. 
where some people just go straight into land and like quit their job. I like how you just kind of shifted and also probably opened the eyes to Brett. Like, holy crap, this is yeah, this is definitely lucrative. Does Brett still do land? He does a little bit. He's actually got started doing big timber deals in Southern Indiana. So he worked for a large timber company starting off and wholesaling at the same time. So he's always dabbled a little bit in land, but his primary focus is is houses in Indianapolis Metro. Okay. So what was that first list that you mailed? You know, was it just random out of random or was it people with timber? Was it tax delinquent? I'm 99% sure I did a tax delinquent. I think we all start there. That was my first one. What did you mail them? A letter, blind offer, postcards? So I think my first couple campaigns were postcards because they were the cheapest. And this was a few years <laughs> back. Yes. I don't think I'd recommend that. I think it's good to split test with postcards because it depends on what market you're in. We interviewed a guy named Andrew something. I forget his last name. But he, he does the Galveston, Texas area. And he says in that area, postcards seem to perform really, really well. So I think it's worth yeah. split testing, but generally I find the most consistent results with a neutral letter. So that's probably what I would recommend, but I think I started with the postcards. Okay. So I started with postcards too, because they were way cheaper yeah. and I had no clue how to price the land. I just wanted to get my phone ringing and I figured out from there. So you and I have very similar backgrounds. When you say split test, what does that mean for someone that's just getting started or trying to get started? Yeah. So I'd take half of your direct mail list and then I would use a neutral letter and then the other half I'd use a postcard and then track your conversion and see if you get more deals with letters or postcards. When you say neutral letter, that's that's just almost like a bigger version of a postcard or what do you mean by neutral letter? Yeah. So for me, it would be... There's different versions of it. So there's something called the yellow letter, which is a, kind of a a textbook example of direct mail for all things real estate. It's kind of a yellow pad piece of paper and they use handwritten font or actual real handwritten letters and and send those out for trying to get people to call. What I do is a very nice branded multicolor letter that talks about my company, establishes that I'm an investor and that I'm you know not going to pay full market value, but I am all cash and pay a lot more than my competitors. So please reach out if you're interested in selling and that's what they respond to. And it's color. Yes. Yours go out in color. See, I've been skimping a little bit. I always send black and white. Now, let me ask you this. Do you send standard mail or first class? I send standard because that's where I try to save money. Oh my gosh. This has been a huge debate for a lot of people doing direct mail. And we've been talking about it a lot lately in the Landsharks community. Standard mail or first class? I am diehard first class because... I want that letter to get to that destination. And I moved in the military eight and a half years. I moved nine, nine or 10 times. I'm not sure because my son was five years old and he had moved seven times. So for someone like me, I move around a lot. So the forwarding address has really, really been well. And I've got an example. My sister-in-law just received a letter from a piece of land she inherited from her mom and it was through the forwarding. So I'm like, I've been preaching that first class mail lately. So so I use um, supercharged offers, which I don't know if you've ever had have, have AJ over there. She's from Australia. Yep. They're very Alicia. misbranded. So like anybody who has heard of them thinks that you have to spend like fifteen to $30,000 a month with them or something mm-hmm. ridiculous because they are kind of like a fractional acquisition marketing department and they can do blog posts for you, retargeting ads on Facebook, 
yeah. the full kit and caboodle. But their their basic plan is five hundred dollars one time, and then pay as you go a minimum of two thousand units of mail. They have a mm-hmm. tracker on their type of envelope that's not first class mail, but it's it's somewhere in between where the mailman actually scans the letter every time it's delivered. So when you actually see on your portal, you know, 98% delivered, it's definitely yeah. actually verified delivered. So it's really... See, I didn't even know that they did that. And I used Alicia for a while and I took back control of, of our mailing because I'm just, I'm a little bit micromanaged when it comes to mailing and, and marketing. <laughs> but uh, I didn't know that they had that scanner. I thought they were doing first class. So I just learned something. Yeah. I love it. They're, they're really yeah. powerful. And I really, really like them because we're land investors. We're not marketers. Like, I mean, I guess technically you could say we're all marketers in every business or whatever, but really our skill set boils down to three things, at least in my business, because I do a little bit of a different model. I'm more what they call blue ocean or whatever, but it boils down to knowing how to run due diligence and run comps, knowing how to talk on the phones. And in my business, knowing how to find, vet, and manage local land specialized real estate agents. Outside of those three skill sets, it's all noise. So what I love about supercharge offers is I can just outsource everything. Like on, I don't mess with lists. Yeah. I'm not scrubbing spreadsheets. I'm not doing blind offers. I'm doing what I do best and I'm getting on the phones and creating leads and they do what they do best. And then I use title companies and, and all that for title work. Like I just stay in that box of, of my skill set. Yeah. Now I'd love to break those three things down because it sounds like you definitely really perfected all three of those. So the first one you said was what? Run due diligence? Run due diligence and comps. So how, right. make sure you're not buying a melon and know what you need to buy it for. Well, how does that start? So do you pick an area? How do you determine that area? Like, can we back up a little yeah. bit before that due diligence? Like, how do you pick an area? I know you said neutral letters, mm-hmm. but where does it start? Like, if I'm listening to this today, how can I get started right now? Because I heard you say you know, $38,000 net profit on your first three land deals. I'm pretty sure you tweaked a few years, tickled a few years there. How do I turn that into something? Because, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast, and I was that person, you know, back in 2016, going to the field once again in the military, crying because I'm about to leave my family for another six months here very soon. And now there's kids involved. Like, talk to that person that's going to that job that just tears them down. Like, how do we get that personal land deal today? First, I want to speak to the question about market research and stuff. I'll get to that in a minute. But I actually think that the, I guess, emotional or psychological work is the first step. It's really important that you build your confidence. If you're going to be somebody who wants to get out of an undesirable situation, it's going to be really hard. And you have to be somebody who can look at struggle and find something beyond that that will allow you to persevere. And so I would really do that kind of deep digging work first of like, okay, I really hate my situation and I'm going to have to dig deep, but I can do it. And I have the confidence to know that I can get out of here and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And actually kind of, you know, David Goggins go hard mode, like do what it takes to get out of there. That's why I relate so well to him. Because that was me. What you just said right there, I hated my situation so bad. And my first wife left me because I was gone. And the first four years of my military career, I might have only seen my own personal bed 
12 of those 48 months. Wow. And that's no way to have a relationship. So I had to get up super early every morning. You know, I'd get up a couple hours before I had to be base. And then I would work late to build this land business to ultimately provide enough money to put my resignation in. So yeah, digging deep, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that you talked about the mental side of that. Yeah, man. And getting back to kind of step one. So I actually wrote an article at Ari Tipster all about like, it, I think it's titled how to find the perfect land market or something like that. That's extremely detailed. I literally walk you through like a video of going to a website called bestplaces.net and actually pulling like raw data on different like growth population and all this stuff. But all that's noise. Like I'm an 80-20 guy first and foremost. And honestly, if you just go to like Google and type in Forbes, best states for business, within the top 15, pretty Four much. best states no, 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 for uh, business? Forbes. So the Forbes. Oh. Yep, yep. Uh, F-O-R-B-U-S. Yeah, Forbes. I'm doing it right now. Forbes best state, best states for business. All right, keep going. I'm just, I'm following along. So pretty much if you just throw a dart at any of the top 15 states, more likely than not, you're going to be fine. The only real exception that I've seen consistently with coaching students is the Pacific Northwest. So for some reason, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho it's just a lot harder to do the business consistently there. Now, I know people who do it. So I'm not saying you can do this business in any market, but the people that I know are actively doing deals there are getting like one deal for every 10 to 15,000 units of mail. Generally, the consumer mind or the seller mind defines a deal, it seems like at 80 cents on the dollar as opposed to 50 cents or less. I have some theories around that because um, there are these like 16 favorable plotting exemption states that where it's like conducive to subdivide because at a state level, you're already pre-approved under certain conditions. And all three of those mm-hmm. states are on that 16 state list. So I, I think Well, that, I'm just looking at the top five here and tell me if yeah. you agree with this. Number one, North Carolina. Yeah, I'm doing deals I in North see, Carolina. Okay, you do, you're doing deals in North Carolina? Yep. Oh yeah, I'm personally not, but I know several land sharks crushing it out there. Texas, oh my goodness. Texas is definitely the state that, once again, yeah, we're doing deals in Texas. I'm not yeah. in Texas. <laughs> However, it's been my shiny object for a while, and I just have not done it. But Utah, number three, Virginia, number four, Florida. Here we go. Number five. Hey. Where's my victory bell? Hey. So that's my state. But it's, yeah, top five. I like that. So top 16 is, is where you like to well, be. Well, top 15, I mean, it, I keep it loose, but it's, I think there are some, when you get past the top 10, there are some question marks. Like I think Nebraska is in there and those kind of places. So, you know, like that's kind of a question mark. I know I've heard people are crushing it in like places like Alaska and Montana, but I just don't know. You know, there's not a lot, a lot of people out there. All right. So that's the first step. Hey, can I share a story about a deal in North Carolina? Yeah. So like, I, I, love I don't say this in a boastful way, but like, it's a pretty awesome. It's probably, probably up there with like the best deal ever, just given the circumstances that I've done so far. So in Pender County, North Carolina, we bought a property for 45000 Half of it, it was a 10-acre track. Half of it was in wetlands. The agent told us that we would probably sit on it for a year, but there was a lot of development in the area. So eventually it would sell. And so we were like, okay, we'll, we'll get it. We listed it for 114000 if I remember correctly. And then we listed it on Friday and Monday, we sold it over asking price for 130000 <laughs> So you sold it for more, yeah. even though the realtor said it was sit for a year and half of it was wetlands. Yep. I heard three things that would be like, 
oh man, I'm, I'm not sure about this one because it's wetlands. I know land investors that completely avoid wetlands. Yeah. And I like to be like, hey, send them my way because one man's trash is a duck hunting paradise. Yep. Or the guy that says, look, I'm going to get my airboat to this island or whatever, you know. So and we do really a wetland fun. delineation. A lot of the times, if the entire, like I had 19 acres in Seminole County, Florida, that was completely covered on the wetlands mapper, that it was all in wetlands. But the likelihood of all 19 being in wetlands was very unlikely. So we rolled the dice and we did a wetland delineation and found that two acres were dry. So it could support a house. And then it was just like a massive backyard. So it was totally worth doing the deal. So wetland delineation, is that just basically where you send an engineer out and they tell you exactly where the wetland spots are at? Yeah, and where the dry land and wetland start and stop. Okay, I think mine was $2,500 when I did it in Florida. How much do you pay for something like that? That sounds about right. It was somewhere like 1200 to $2,500, somewhere around there. Oh, so it's affordable. Okay. You know, it, it sounds scary, wetlands delineation, but you know, you're just paying an engineer to go out and tell you where it's at. And I... I personally would recommend, and I don't know if you guys did this, doing that before I take ownership of the land. Yes. Yeah, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. All right. So back to, we pick one of those top 16. Now what's the next step? Yeah. So, well, let me take a step back. There's kind of, I think, three or four viable paths to market research that are all valid. One of them is leveraging or like looking at growth metrics, like population growth and job growth. Forbes, like we just looked at populationreview.com. You know, you can start with the states and then go into the counties. That's kind of generally what I've been doing. And my ultimate objective with market research is to find a land specialized agent and then ask them, hey, what three to five counties do you serve? So my goal is to be in the path of growth where there's a lot of activity, where it seems like it's going to be pretty easy to get a deal, pretty easy to find an agent, and then go from there wherever my agent leads me. You know, I like that, that land specialist realtor, because my land specialist realtor in Florida just gave me, and this would be insider trading, by the way, in the stock market world and the stock industry. But he told me, he said, hey, here's two counties you should look at because I can't sell the land fast enough. So guess where I started mailing like yesterday. Yeah. So that land specialist agents, it's, it's super, uh, oh, I mean, yeah, game changer. How do you find that person though? Yeah, so the easiest way is to either use PropStream, because you can use comps. Uh, they have a comps and review tab, I believe it's called comps and, comps and something. And sometimes it depends on the area, obviously, but where they have data available, a lot of times they actually pull MLS solds. So you can look at an MLS comparable and look up MLS details. And there's a particular report that you can pull within PropStream. And then you could scroll down to where it says agent details, and then you can look up that agent. And you want to look them up online. There's something like there's a Zillow agent profile, and you can look up people by zip code and or like type in Zillow agent profile and then that particular person's name from PropStream. And then you want to look at their ratio of sold properties to uh, sorry of land properties to other types of real estate, both active and sold. And if you see at least fifty percent, then I'd give them a call and bet them out. I can't agree more with the land specialist realtor. Usually, I just find the sold land in the area I'm interested in and just copy and paste the listed by and the bought by. And if you don't see that, it's probably because it didn't sell on the MLS. And then I just keep copying and pasting it into a Word document. And eventually you're going to see the same guy or girl coming up. And that's who like, 
go to coffee with this person, call them. And if they don't take your phone call, call the next person because there's usually one or two in some areas and they'll compete each with each other as well. We have a deal in uh, Tennessee and the one that was actually selling all the land, she's been like blowing me off. So I was like, well, let's see who has the listings. Oh man, guy right across the street, same type property listed for sale for 1.2 million. I call him. He is a wealth of information. He told me the, the best place to get a percolation test and, nice. and he's more than likely going to be my agent because he has done way more than this one. So be willing to go and like do the research and take the extra steps. I like that. Yeah. Land specialist realtor. Hey, before we go on and I lose my share of that, I do want to finish my thoughts on uh, market research. So just that w- that's one viable way is to look at like population and job growth metrics. The second is tourism follow tourism trends. And then I would say the third is leverage your existing network or exposure to a market. So if let's say you're a wholesaler or your parents were landlords, or you have some kind of an existing market, that can be a trump card and a competitive advantage. So for example, I'm working with some uh, new land mavericks right now in uh, one-on-one coaching, and they live in Oklahoma. So they're doing the top five growing counties in Oklahoma, which for some people, I wouldn't necessarily say is the best, but for them, it totally makes total sense because they're going to have a local number, they know local things, and it gives them a competitive edge. So those are the All right, different so areas. job, tourism, and if you have a network already, that's the third. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. All right. So market research, you found the market. Now you just pull a list of people and send that per- the, all those people in that county a letter, a neutral letter. Yeah. So I will reach out to Supercharge Offers and I'll say, hey, Supercharge Offers, here's my desired counties and here's my criteria. So a lot of times I like to target, if I can, pre-probate, senior owners, inherited property. Kind of my title company in Florida actually jokes and says that my file has the most amount of death on it than anybody else in, that they service because I just constantly get deals that, that are probate. A lot of people shy away from probate, but if you go through title, it's pretty much the same thing. It's just going to be a longer closing period because you have an, an attorney doing some work to clear a title. It's not that hard. I don't know who you use for probate in Florida, but I love Al Nicoletti. The guy is the probate attorney and he's awesome. He'll actually wait for his payment when you close on the what? land to get That's paid. awesome. Yeah. Al Nicoletti. I need to reach out to him. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll share his contact information with you. Hey, how All is right, uh, so, the note broker, by the way, Justin? Um, you were on the Land Maverick podcast and I uh, texted you, Justin, did you reach out to him yet? I need to fill out his form. I've been waiting to do it because we've got 70 something notes and I'm just like, okay, do, <laughs> do I need to fill all this out or just pick and choose? So thanks for the referral. Yeah. He's really solid. He's a good dude. All right. So... We go to PropStream, pull a list. Actually, no, I don't pull a list from PropStream. I just give my criteria and it's white glove because I'm a, I'm a land investor. My skill set is running due diligence, running comps, talking to people on the phone and finding agents. Okay, that, so you're I'm- getting that phone ringing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, Alicia and Matt over there, they ran my mailing for almost two years. So let Alicia over at Supercharged Offers know that Brent and Jaren sent you over. Exactly. So... Good deal. All right. So the phone starts ringing. Now, what does it look like? Do you have to take these phone calls? Do you return a voicemail? You know, do you have 
pat live do it you know what's that process look like yeah so we have everything go to a pre-recorded voicemail and then my wife is pretty much the ceo of i buy land which is our, our land company i am spending probably 80 90 of my time like coaching because that's what i just feel like i'm called to do and like what i'm wired for but the process generally will be we have we get pinged within our crm that we have a new voicemail we screen that voicemail run an initial phase of due diligence. So everything that we can do within our own control with like limited software data and whatever, we try to figure out an offer. About 70% of the time we're successful in that and we can call back the seller with an offer in hand. Uh, about 30% of the time we have to call them back and just buy some time so that we can get an agent to go walk the property to give us like proper uh, review of the comps and what we could probably list it for and what have you. So, you know, if it's a voicemail where they're like just cussing you out or whatever, we just won't ret- return them. But the ones that seem promising, we'll analyze and then reach out. And I'm pretty much, I shine on the phone. So that's where my wife will pull me in a lot is, hey, call this person. And they'll, she'll give me the offer amount, the county and the state and the parcel size. And then I'll just call them and close them. All right. Two questions. What CRM do you use? Right now I'm using Pebble. But I'm Pebble. I love Pebble. But we're probably switching. We're probably switching. I'm probably going to be using a combination of Go High Level and ClickUp because I have a virtual staffing solution company called Virtual Outsource, and we always use ClickUp and Go High Level. And Go uh, HiveMind for those that might know what that is. It's a CRM for land investors that's built on Go High Level, so it's pretty robust. So that's probably the direction I'm going in. Question number two. Do you call those people back when they leave you those dirty, nasty old voicemails? I, like, do you just have fun some days and call them back and try and turn them? No, because I'm an 80-20 guy. So I would rather double down on the opportunities. Now, if I had a proper automatic follow-up system built out where I could set them as like a cold lead and have like, you know, a certain sequence of pre-recorded voicemails and text messages and call prompts and stuff set up, then yeah, I'd put them on an automatic follow-up sequence. But right now, because that's not in place and I'm doing everything kind of quasi-manual until we kind of move to this new CRM system, I just double down on where there's the most amount of opportunity. Heck yeah. I love it. Yeah. 80-20. So looks like a great deal. You know, you got the offer in hand, something you think you would buy. What's a good deal? The Jaron Barnes. Yeah. So we actually fund uh, all of our... Land Maverick members. So we we have a mastermind called Land Maverick Society. And we will fund generally between twenty thousand on the low end up to 150,000 pretty comfortably per acquisition. So we intentionally go after more expensive properties because there's less competition. Higher spreads like the general rule of thumb is you list at a multiple in that space. So I buy a property at Say thirty thousand, I'm going to list at sixty. You know, if I'm going to buy at fifty thousand, list at a hundred, uh, that starts breaking down around the two hundred fifty thousand mark because even to get that multiple where you list at five hundred, it gets harder. But with given where things are at with um, the interest rate climate and stuff, we find that a lot of the more expensive properties are generally tied into like a business loan, so they get more impacted than that kind of lower range of properties where everything is still mostly in cash. So Yeah. And you mentioned that blue ocean strategy earlier. I was gonna get you to explain that, but you know, I think it's a good time now. It's just, you know, not as many people are dealing in the higher parcel, like the higher, more expensive over fifty thousand is what I've found. 
And I'm moving more into it. I did a lot of that desert cheap $5,000 purchase, you know, sell for three. And I'm not knocking it. It gave me my start. I mean, it allowed me to build my bank account. And once you have a bank account that's built up and you have no debt, that really improves that or increases that confidence that you had talked about, Jaron. Yeah. So I love that blue ocean strategy because there's less people playing in that field. Yeah. When I used to work at RE Tipster, we started doing like a RE Tipster coaching. And I talked to somebody who was contemplating doing the RE Tipster masterclass versus one-on-one coaching with me. He ultimately decided to do the masterclass and said, hey, if I need coaching in the future, I'll circle back with you. A few months later, he got on a call with me to follow up and he kind of opened the conversation with, my objective in this call is to prove that you're not a fraud, that you're not a charlatan. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Why do you think that? He said, I'm a numbers guy. And if I'm going, if I'm spending direct mail and I'm spending X amount of dollars in direct mail and I'm buying property between $500 and $1,500, even if I'm doubling it, I'm not even profitable from a direct mail sim. And I was like, no, you're not. Yeah, you're right. That's why you need to buy more expensive properties. So I told him, you know, just buy and like, you know, at that time I told him buy between five and 15,000 and then you'll have enough spread to cover your direct mail costs and make a profit. Yeah, absolutely. If you do not make enough profit on your deals, you will go out of business faster than you started because there there has to be, like, for instance, I just uh, interviewed Brendan Harvey on the last podcast recording I just did. He knew that he had to spend on average about a dollar, dollar oh one for each letter he sends. But each letter he sends, he gets back $10.83. He's profitable. He can keep doing it. Yep. You know, he's going to 4X that so he can increase. But uh, yeah, like you don't stay profitable very long doing those $1,000 deals. Yes, you can get some money quick coming in, but those will dry up. And those are more suitable for terms. I think that those really make sense if you tie it into an owner finance type situation. But if you're just doing cash stuff, buy a property for what, 1500 bucks, sell for 3500 Like, I mean, you can't even afford closing costs. No, yeah. no, absolutely not. So, okay. So hire deals, you guys fund them, you purchase them, you list them with that land specialist realtor, or you guys sell them on your own? Yeah. So we always list with a land specialized real estate agent. So we've outsourced the entire disposition arm. We pretty much function as just an acquisition arm and then just like set a massive pipeline and just let them sell when they sell. Are you doing any terms, any seller financing or all just cash flips? So I offer terms on every property that I have listed. So I say we're open to owner financing because I know Justin Bogard, who I connected you with, I feel comfortable setting up terms under certain parameters that would make it very easy for me to turn around and sell off the note after. Oh, so if you do one, you turn around and sell it to a note buyer. Yeah. Now I have not had anybody so far take me up on that, but on every property. Okay. Okay. No, that's brilliant. I like it. So you always, even if you do terms and you need cash, you can sell those, those notes. And I'm saying terms and notes interchangeably. Basically when I, when I say terms, I mean, I'm going to take a down payment, maybe a documentation fee and a monthly payment for that piece of land until they pay it off. And a lot of times I'm not even transferring the deed until they pay it off. Unless I sell it on the MLS with a realtor, then I go through the, the actual traditional closing process. And we have a promissory note and a deed of trust and I'm the bank. That's it. Jaron, I love that you let me ask you all these questions. I just need to know what does your land business look like today? You talked about this just getting started and I kind of walked you through the whole business almost in as short amount of time as I could. But what does it look like today? 
And how many years did it take for you to build that? Yeah. So right now we're doing about 5,000 units of mail a month and we just introduced texting. We're still figuring out our conversion rates, but we've gotten three deals so far to date through texting. So we're kind of experimenting with that. We have some pretty aggressive goals on that side. I definitely want to hit a million dollars in the top line within the, you know, I want to build a system where by the end of 2024, I'm, I'm able to hit that pretty consistently for years to come. Um, but very 80-20. So very small team, just focusing on ways we can do bigger spreads. I want to be the guy in the room that made within the top 10% of the most amount of money in the room, but did like the least amount of deals. If I could do it in one deal, I'd prefer to do that because I'm 80-20. I don't Less know. volume, yeah. bigger deals, all upside. Yep. That's what I just heard. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so that's pretty much it. And then we spend a lot of our energy in the Land Maverick Society because I think... At the end of the day, I'm probably, you know how there's like really good coaches and then there's like really good players. I would probably say I'm a B class player in the land space. Like there's way better people than me, but I probably am a really good coach. Like not in an arrogant way, but I. And you yeah. team up with the players. Yeah. You know, that's why I hired acquisition managers better than me on the phone, better at communicating, better at, you know, just really getting down to the negotiations because that was not my strong suit. I knew it. If you focus on what charges your batteries and eliminate either, you know, finding a team member, finding a partner or hiring it out, eliminating those things that decrease your batteries or drain your energy, you're going to have a happier life. That's for sure. Yeah. And normally with one-on-one coaching students, I guess, so like we have just a general membership to the Land Maverick Society which gives you a lot of perks. Like we have, you know, weekly live training in our Facebook group and funding and all this stuff. But with one-on-one coaching, I provide like unlimited coaching until you actually get a deal. So it's very different. Like we give out our phone numbers, we're funding deals. So I'm, I actually am like routinely calling sellers with students saying that I work for them. That's kind of how I pitch it. So that, oh, let me go talk to the boss, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's as hands-on training as you can possibly get. Well, how do people get in touch with you? Landmavericks.com. Yeah. And yeah, that's where you find the podcast and that's where you find all the information. We're, I think by the time this airs, we will have a public Facebook group as well. So you can just Facebook Land Maverick Society and you should be able to find us. All right, Jaron. Last question. I promise. Last question. Oh, take your time. I'm good. I'm good all right. Myself. So I've been trying real estate for years. I've taken all the courses. I've been burnt by, by coaches been burnt by courses and, and seminars and I don't want to go in the back and open up a credit card and sign my my firstborn child. You know, what would you recommend for me? So it depends on your situation. Normally people either start off with an excess amount of time or an excess amount of money. So if you have money but you have limited time, I would work with some coach. You don't have to work for with me. You can if you want to. But you can work with anybody who, like Clint Turner is pretty solid. Um, there's a number of... Oh, Clint. Yeah, there's a number of really solid guys. You know, obviously, Land Sharks is a great place to, to go as well. But if you don't have a lot of money and you are looking to get started, I would find large operators kind of like me, I guess you could say, where I buy at 50 cents on the dollar. So if you can go get anything cheaper than 50 cents on the dollar, you could like a wholesale and assign to that operator and know that you could consistently close because they're more established or whatever. So you can, maybe you make less money, but 
you make 5k a deal or something and that can get your your momentum going i'd really recommend that as a starting point is to find somebody to partner with it's kind of like a backwards way of finding a real estate mentor because if you go canvassing like yo bro will you be my mentor can i pick your brain everyone's super busy no one has time for that but if you come and be like yo i got a deal for you here's this deal it's partner that's a very different conversation yeah. And let me just tell anybody that that's out there listening to this, a delete, can I pick your brain out of your mouth? I'm telling you, I hear that so often. Here's what I hear when someone says it. I want free information. Free. I want you to stop your time. I want you to, to not be with your children right now or your wife or your business or your team or building your business and give me free information. So if you understood what I just said, do not say, can I pick your brain? Like when people text me that or email that or whatever, I ignore it. I'm just, it just irks me more than anything. And I usually will sit down with people, but it's just, there's some bad, there's been some bad experiences with that in the very beginning. I used to just give it all away for free and I still do, but you know, I would meet people for coffee and lunches. And before I knew it, I had like an appointment every day of people wanting to pick my brain. And that's like, you know what? I want to go home and put my kids to bed tonight or jump on the trampoline with them yeah. or swim, you know? <laughs> yeah, man, it's, you got to be really careful with that because psychologically it's weird, but people don't value what they don't pay for. So, so true. So if you give them away free information, they'll just literally waste your time and not do anything with it. So it's better to almost like charge them and say, Hey, I'll charge you 500 bucks for this hour. And then I'll reimburse you if we do a deal together or something like that, you know? I did that in the beginning too. Lewis Kim, I think I charged him $200 when I was just starting to train and coach. And I said, listen, when you do your first deal, just donate or I'll give the money back. That's what it was. I was going to give the money back and he told me just to donate it because he did a deal. Nice. So that, that's so funny. You brought up some old memories there. All right, Rhino Nation. Here you have it. Jaron Barnes, former podcast host of RE Tipster and working with Seth Williams now on his own, building his own land business on his own. And he mentioned so many gold nuggets. He mentioned PropStream. If you want a free seven-day trial to PropStream, head on over to the LandSharksList.com. He also mentioned Pebble. If you want a 14-day free trial to this, I use Pebble to mail, and Pebble has an amazing CRM. That is thelandsharks.com forward slash CRM as in customer relationship manager. And they'll give you a 14-day free trial as well as a $50 mail credit. You combine PropStream and Pebble together, you can be mailing tonight. And then he also mentioned texting. We are doing deals as well via text. I don't do as many deals when I text landowners as I do mail because the mail mail is just so much easier for the passive business owner. It's more of my lifestyle design. I have a lifestyle business. So texting is a little bit more work, but I use a service called textlandowners.com, textlandowners.com. I actually just had uh, Nicholas Nick on the podcast the other day. If you use WI as a coupon code, you're going to get more bang for your buck. They're going to give you 10% more. And WI is in wholesaling ink. All right, guys. If you're looking to join one of the most aggressive real estate training and coaching mentor groups, the Land Sharks community, I want you to head on over to wholesalinginc.com forward slash land, schedule a call, fill out an application, and I would be honored to hold your hand and guide you through your first 
land deal and show you how to set up a business that will serve you, your families, and others. I love it, man. Well, thanks for coming on the Wholesaling Inc. podcast. God bless. Any final words of wisdom, gold nuggets? I would really read four books. I would read Perry Marshall's 8020 Sales and Marketing. I'd read Perry Marshall's Memos from the Head Office. And I would read Thou Shall Prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And I would read Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Those four books will radically change your worldview for success. Jaren, thanks for being a go-giver. God bless. See you soon, man. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at wholesalinginc.com by joining the mailing list as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe and work personally with one of our amazing coaches. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.